Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Well, it's good to be uh, back with you again uh, and to uh, enter into what is it that Jesus might have had in mind for his community, for his followers, for his disciples following the events that we celebrated last weekend. Uh, we were gathered together and celebrating the resurrected Christ. Uh, but I think we learned that this was not the end of much of anything. It's actually the beginning of a grand new adventure that Jesus is very clear. Remember, we ended with the invitation for the disciples to join Jesus on the mountain. And when they did, we get a clearer picture of that in uh, Matthew's gospel uh, as to what he invited them to do, which was very specifically, we've spent time on this multiple times before, and I think it's worth, however, rehearsing it again as we think through this next series of conversations on what does what does it look like for us to be mature, healthy disciples of Jesus, useful for the work that he's called us to, and specifically... What does it look like to be aware of the ways that that fails, especially emotionally, and undermines our journey uh, and in obedience to, to, to Jesus? So as he sent them on their mission, he invites them into the story. We want to look at what he's asked us to do, which is to make disciples and given us very explicit directions on how to do that, which then gives us a clue as to what maturity looks like in disciple-making. I'm hopeful that over the course of these next several weeks, it will become clearer and clearer that there really is an end game to the following of Jesus. It's just not a matter of showing up week after week and doing the thing, whether on Sunday or online, or and then kind of going about our business throughout the rest of the week, that there is a through line that Jesus anticipated and invites us into. So what does it look like to be people who are disciples of Jesus in every aspect of our life? Over the last few weeks, we've been thinking about heart, soul, mind, strength, and being shaped and formed and loving God out of the center of those realities. In other words, what does it look like to be Christians in the proper sense of that term, not people who believe the right things about Jesus, but people who, by following him, are marked by him and identified by people on the outside as to whether their character has been formed and now they remind those folks of of Christ. So here's the challenge. We begin in verse um, 16 of Matthew 28. Uh, And I'm going to move through this fairly quickly because we've spent time on all of these passages before. So jumping in. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, be going. And as you are going, be making disciples of all the nations." 
be baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them, be teaching them how to obey everything that I've commanded you. And I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You will notice that I changed some of the verb forms in that reading to reflect the ongoing action that each of these things represent. They gather, from last week we were uh, told to meet him in Galilee, that's what happened. Uh, Some of them gather, they worship him, they recognize who he is, they're doubtful about what is going to happen to them, what's next in mission. So Jesus takes that seriously and leans into the awareness as a result of resurrection. All authority has been given to me on heaven, heavens and earth. Now I'm sending you. I'm um, turning you into my ambassadors, my representatives. And here's what you're supposed to do. Go. Go as engineers. Go as attorneys. Go as preschool teachers. Go as moms and dads. Go as neighbors. Go as single men and single women. Go as old people. Go as young people. Go. Be, and But as you are going, remember this single task. Make disciples for me. Make followers of me. Make apprentices for me. Make students of me. And here's how I want you to do it. I want you to soak them. I want you to immerse them. I want you to baptize them. I want you to dip them such that the character of the medium in which they are baptized, the name, the character of the Father, Son, and Spirit, wicks its way up into their character and starts to transform them by exposure to the name, by exposure to the reality of who the Father is. And of course, John tells us that God is love. So if we can snapshot this, if we can shorthand this, Jesus says, be going into all the world, making disciples of nations and people everywhere, And specifically by immersing them into the character of the Trinity, into the love that is characteristic of the Trinity. And when you do that, he says, then you will earn the right to teach them how to live the way I've taught you how to live. So again, this is, this is not rocket science. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't done this all that well uh, in, in recent years. We have turned discipleship into a course. Uh, we have turned it into the knowing of a certain set of things. We have given people things to believe when in what he actually asks us to do is introduce them to someone to love. And so discipleship is a heart following of Jesus and being marked by him in such a way that people looking at us from the outside comment that we've been with him, that, that we, we've learned how to manage our money, we've heard, learned how to manage our sexuality, we've learned how to manage our anger, we've learned how to let um, uh, uh, our successes and our failures shape us in ways that reflect his character. We've learned our lives from Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. It's about obedience, but it's also about being shaped by, by love. And so um, in, 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 in this larger task, Jesus knows that there are some folks who are needed to kind of step back from the front lines of disciple making and equip and support those who are on those front lines. Uh, 
so that they have adequate resource and uh, uh, training and capacity for the journey. So uh, this passage, th- those people, by the way, are called pastors. Uh, and notice how this develops in Ephesians chapter uh, 4, uh, verses 11 through 16. So principal task from, from Jesus, make disciples of everybody. That, by the way, is an all play. There's no exceptions. Everybody is to be making disciples. Everybody is to be a disciple who makes disciples. It's not just the special folks who get paid who make disciples. In fact, those folks who get paid are supposed to be, according to this next passage, equipping everybody else to be making disciples on the front lines of the kingdom, which is what happens Monday through Friday at your place of employment. So here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul's writing to the church. He says, now Christ, the risen Christ, gave people to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Here's where it gets interesting. To equip his people for them to do works of service so that the body of Christ is built up until we all reach the unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we are to be no longer infants, tossed back and forth by the waves that blow, and the winds that blow, rather, and the waves that rock and um, uh, and are blown here or there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is our head, namely Christ. From him, the whole body joined held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up then in love, just as each part does its work. I think you're starting to hopefully get a a sense of the strategy here. There are people who are, let me combat it this way. The norm is that everyone who is a disciple of Jesus is a discipler of others. Everyone who has believed into Jesus enough to start to follow him, whether they get everything right or not, is intended then to be a minister, a servant, one who does the work of the king in the world, who's on the front edge, the leading edge, the the cutting edge of the kingdom in the world. There are some people who are called to step back from that front line of ministry and support and care for those who are on the front line. Those people are pastors, evangelists, teachers, etc. right? So the norm is that everybody is serving with some folks pulled back to support and equip and train and enable and care for those who are on the front line. That's the strategy. Uh, And then the primary task of pastors is to equip and support the disciples of Jesus so that they can do the work of ministry. Please notice, 
it only takes about 15 to 20 percent of the people who go to a church to run the place. That means 80 percent of the gifts the Holy Spirit gives to people are to be used as the church in the world, not on, at church on Sunday morning. That suggests that the work of disciple-making doesn't happen primarily on Sunday. Sunday is primarily the day when pastors can partner with and equip and earn the right to walk with people throughout the course of the week as they are engaged in the work of disciple-making in their places of employment. So you'll notice here that the task for pastors is to build people up, to equip them so that they, you, can do the work of ministry wherever you are. The work of ministry here being, in my view, making disciples. Um, How? (laughs) By immersing them in the character of the Trinity, in the love of the Father and Son and the Spirit. And the outcome is wholeness. The outcome is shalom. The outcome is this well-rounded, holistic community of people whose lives from the inside out radiate the love of God into which they have been immersed. They understand themselves, Paul says, as members of the community, the body, and they build it up rather than tear it down. The goal here, listen to this language, is fullness of Christ. Christ-likeness is the goal. That's where we're headed. And then as they mature and develop, he says they're not uh, distracted or pushed off course by every wind of doctrine that blows, every podcast that comes along, any deceitful scheming that occurs, any uh, uh, um, whispered conversation. They don't get pulled off track by that because they're deeply rooted in the character of Christ, in the love of the Father, and they are not then distracted. They, they, they mind their own business. They stay in their own lane. They're not worried about all kinds of weirdness at the edges. They're staying on focus, and they are marked then by an integrity from the inside out that is enabled to speak truth with love. Love always makes way for truth. Truth doesn't necessarily make way for love. It's hard to be right and not hurt people with it, which is why Paul says, no, love has to lead the way, making way for truth. So they are then becoming more and more like Christ in attitudes and dispositions holistically in every aspect of their being, they, not just spiritually, not just in the ways that they do spiritual things, praise or, or worship or read the Bible, but how they parent their children, how they manage a column of figures at their place of employment, how they teach their preschool class, how they, how they interact with neighbors and roommates, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These are the places of disciple-making. They learn how to mind their own business, and as doing so, they are in then alignment with the whole. They are built up into Christ-likeness who is the head. He is the aligning principle, if you will, against which we find our place or uh, find our alignment with him and then grow increasingly in love, the character of the Trinity, uh, with the maturity that is measured then in holistic character that reminds people of Jesus, Christians. The bottom line, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, 
verse 22, is a character of, well, he uses this language, love, joy, peace or shalom, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says in Galatians chapter 5, there is no law against things like this. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's no longer that that drives us. And instead, we live by the Spirit. And as a result, we want to keep in step with the Spirit so that we don't become conceited, we don't provoke and envy each other. This is, as you recognize it, a character sketch of Jesus. This is what he looks like. So if this then is the marker of what a mature, holistic disciple, an emotionally responsive disciple, an emotionally healthy disciple looks like, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, sexual and other self-control, how are we doing? How are we doing at becoming what Jesus rose from the dead to produce? How are we doing at living in such a way that people who are outside our communities look in and said, they've been with Jesus. They are marked by his character. They are little Christs, Christians. If the last year, year and a half is the indicator, at least in North America, we're probably not doing all that well. More division, more anger, more vitriol, more horrific language used about brothers and sisters, more voting of people off the island of salvation, more splits and divisions. Um, We haven't modeled love necessarily particularly well, and I'm including myself in the we. This is the broad body of exceptions. Yes, yes, yes. Many of you exceptions to this, but I think at the same time, I want to say and invite you into a more holistic understanding of what this is about and why we have chosen uh, to lean into these conversations this year, Uh, pressing into this emotionally healthy, because I, I don't think it's been spirituality necessarily that's been the issue. I think the fact that pandemic has touched hard places from our families of origin, it's touched hard places from our own darkness and our own brokenness and the trauma that we've experienced as kids sometimes. And it's touched those places and we've reacted with angry pain and the outcome has not been pretty. So we, we have, been, have been training people in many instances to believe the right things about Jesus, but not to follow him, not to learn our lives from him. We have, as I said before, given people things to believe, not introduce them to someone to love. And that's what we want to do. We have bought the lie that we can be spiritually mature, marked by moments sometimes of high experience in worship and warm fuzzies and chills up and down our spine. That's the mark of superior spirituality. No, actually it isn't. The really mature person may not have any of those things, but will be marked by love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of the fruit of the Spirit, all 
of the fruit of the Spirit. And we can't get there without paying attention to how the Holy Spirit wants to redeem the whole person. The result of the what we've been doing is that we have a veneer of spirituality without the substance of wholeness. So what does a holistic spirituality look like? Well, maybe we could look at it in the negative. What does an unhealthy spirituality look like? And with the resources we're providing, uh, and you'll be able to follow along in the book that you, uh, we, we provided last week and varying other places. So this will, I'm just taking this literally right off the page, but notice how it maps into what we've been talking about this morning. Uh, first, we use God, we use spirituality as a way to hide from God, from authentic, transforming encounter with God. Second, we have a limited awareness of what we're feeling at any given moment and either ignore what we are sensitive to or we give it way too much power to control things. We don't understand that emotions are kind of the dashboard indicators indicating health in the rest of the system and we don't know what to do with what they're registering. Third, we have negotiated a kind of detente with our self-destructive attitudes, dispositions, and behaviors captioned under the phrase of sin. We've reached a level of acceptance with those practices and lost track then of who we really are. We have resulted then out of that in having almost no capacity to do what we're actually here on earth to do. Number four, we have a very limited awareness of the impact of our family and early experiences and how those have shaped who we are, how we think, all, almost automatically. We, we resist, we deny, and in either of those instances, we don't take seriously that everybody comes from somewhere. And to take seriously where we came from and how that shaped us enables us to submit that whole thing to the lordship of Jesus Christ and let him manage it in ways that are most productive to the kingdom and finding that unique place that we fit in the kingdom. Our jigsaw puzzle fit into the matrix of the whole. Number five, we have, Darren talked about this last week, compartmentalized our life into the sacred sphere and the secular sphere, not realizing that a holistic maturity requires that everything is spiritual. How I, how I spend my money, how I manage my sexuality, how I handle my work responsibilities, how I play, all of that, as well as how I worship, how I'm at church, all of that is under the sphere of the Lordship of Jesus Christ because everything is spiritual. And when we secund spirituality to one side, and this is the place that we live that Jesus doesn't have much to do with, we deny his Lordship over those areas. That's damaging. Uh, six, we perform for God as a way of earning his approval and his love and managing a guilty conscience by doing just enough good things to balance things so that we feel like we're maybe not the best, but we're good enough in comparison to. We always want to have somebody to make the comparison to. You can't do love by comparison. 
You can't do it that way. You have to work from the center of God's love, not towards it. You have to land in the reality of his acceptance of you, false and all. Not try and deal with all of the bits and pieces so that God will love you. He already does. Now you've got to take advantage of that in walking that out. Number seven, we mismanage conflict. And conflict is a necessary part of the building of intimacy, of the building of places where we fit. We, 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 we need it to help us grow up in community. And we, we minimize conflict by spiritualizing it or by passive aggressiveness or by cutting humor that's not really actually all that funny, uh, by lying, by, by avoiding, by canceling, uh, by, by gossiping. All of those ways render conflict useless to the building up of wholeness. Number eight, we turn a blind eye to our own brokenness, our own weakness, our own failure, and make excuses or find somebody to blame so that we don't have to say, it's me. We don't have to own our own story. And instead then of taking those things and offering them up as, as objects and places of redemption and growth, they become useless and toxic. Number nine, we have a limited sense of appropriate boundaries, where we end and others begin, and what it means to care for the self that is us because we don't even know the self that is us. Boundaries are necessary for holistic self-care, and it enables us to love others well without being parasites on the love of others, uh, and it enables us to build towards holistic intimacy. Then finally, number 10, we make evaluative judgments about others and live our lives in comparison, which is the essence of pride, and which then ends up murdering self-sacrificing love which is how we are to orient ourselves to one another. And all of this, I, I think it's fair to say, has ripple effects out into the culture, out into the society, out into our ability to make disciples of, of Jesus. Would the Jesus that I follow as marked by my character be attractive to someone who sees me in, on the street? That's where we're going that holistic discipleship. So we want to dig in over the next several weeks and focus on moving towards emotional health and spiritual health and spiritual maturity. This is a life, lifetime endeavor, but you can only start with where you are. Here's the, here's the trick. You got to be where you are. So let's take just a minute at the conclusion here this morning, this afternoon, whenever it is you're watching this, and let's just become present to the Spirit who is with us in this moment. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit of the living God, we recognize that you are always present with us. And we also recognize that we are not always present to you. So even in this moment, Lord, we want to just stop and breathe and lean into this space 
and ask you to search our hearts, to know us from the inside out. And as we begin this journey, and for many, continue the journey towards holistic maturity, towards Christ-likeness, that you would help us to remember and then to keep our eyes on the prize. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, saints. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.